Yes, my husband and I were married for 36 years. The Lord took him home when he was still a baby. In other words, he was 59. And um, he was older than me. So if I say I've you know, been widowed for seven years, that was his age, not mine. When he left. Okay. But um, you know you're just decimated when that happens. You've been a twosome for so long that you're one. You know, uh, but what I want to tell you is that whether it's because the Lord has taken your spouse home or whether for some reason you find yourself unmarried, it's not the end of the world. It's just the closing of that chapter of your life and the opening of the next chapter that God has for you. And so please, if there's anyone, and I'm not saying single. I didn't become single again because God promises never to leave us nor forsake us. I'm not single. I'm just not married right now. But I am engaged. And it's going to be a wedding you all can come to. It's going to be in the heavens. <laughs> One of the men in the church asked if I was going to get married again. And, and I just went, I, I, have, I haven't even thought of it. But if I can find anyone who's better than my heavenly bridegroom, I'll get married again right now. But it's just... You know, the standard's kind of high up there, but enough of that. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, open up in a word of prayer, please. You know, Father, we've just been praying all day. I'm sure all of us have been because, Lord, we are a hungry people. We know that we need to hear from you, Father. So many other voices talking, talking, screaming, trying to get our attention. But there's a, but we want to sit at your feet. We need your wisdom. We need to be filled with your love. We invite you, Holy Spirit. You brought us here. Thank you. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Please come. Empty us of ourselves. Everything that we brought into this room, we just we just ask you to just empty our minds of it, that we can sit at the feet of Jesus, wholly giving him our attention, and therefore receiving what you brought us here this evening for. We're hungry, we're needy, and we know that you are faithful. Do your work in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I love this. At the Feet of Jesus. What an awesome title. And these things that you're going to be covering. Um, at His Feet for Instruction. That's my, that's my study. I thought, okay, guys, is it because you know that I need to learn more on this whole thing of taking instruction? So thank you, Trudy. Because it was true. I did. Lord showed me more stuff that I needed to learn. But I want to even look at this title. At the Feet of Jesus. So it says... At his feet for instruction. Where are we? The first point. At his feet. And why his feet? Because regardless of what the culture, what the uh, media, what anybody else would have to say to you, there is only one God who sent his only begotten son. That whomsoever, you and me and you, Whomsoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the reason you're here. That's the reason I'm here. And that's the reason we are sitting at his feet. You know, sometimes I forget that love in John 3.16. And the Holy Spirit will then say, do you know why you're sitting at his feet? One of my favorite scriptures, Romans 8.32. That God, who withheld not his own son, Jesus, how much more will he, with him, give us all things that pertain to life? Not some things, all things that pertain to life. He died for me. He rose again. And as I walk through this life, God the Father, who withheld not his own son, will with Jesus give me all things I need for this walk of faith. That's why, right? We're all here tonight 
sitting at his feet. Also why his feet is, um, they have to skip that. We're going to be short on time anyway. Okay. Why feet? Because in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that's where we observe that uh, disciples or followers would sit at the feet of the rabbi. Why? Because they were sitting to hear. They were sitting to receive from their teacher. Also, it's a picture of submission. Because when they would sit at the feet of the rabbi or sit at the feet of Jesus, they were recognizing that indeed you have what I need. I need to hear what you have to say. I need to apply what you're going to teach me. I need to walk in, have my life changed, and walk in the truths that you're telling. I need to have my life changed by what you are going to enlighten me with. So yeah, there's a picture of submission. At the feet of Jesus for instruction. So, if you don't know already, is it up on the sign? No, it's not up on the sign. If you would turn with me please to Luke chapter 10 verses 39 through 42 and let's let's just go ahead and read those aloud. And you know, let's read them all together. I know that we have different translations, but that's okay. Let's just read it together. Starting with verse, oh, did I say 39? I meant 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. I don't hear you. (laughs) And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him saying, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I bet you're thinking the same thing that I thought of when I found out this was my text. Oh, you're kidding. This text has been taught so many times. I've heard it upside down, like inside out, turned around and shaken. And I believe it, because you guys are so blessed to be able to come to one of the best churches that are out there. And I'm not saying that because you've asked me. This is honest to goodness, because that would be a lot flattery, right? I'm not going to do that. But honest to goodness, you know, I just so uh, appreciate and respect the gift that um, Xavier and Trudy walk in, in as far as teaching, getting back to the study. So, when we, oh, you know what I forgot to do? I'm 63, give me a break. (laughs) What I forgot to do was I wanted to make sure that we defined the word instruction because we're sitting at his feet for instruction. Now I know that if I was to ask one or two of you that you'd say, oh yeah, I know what instruction means, but to make sure that we're all on the same understanding, I, I wanted to define it. And so I used Strong's at first. And it says for instruction, it is a direction or order, a direction or order. We all know in the Old Testament, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. But in the New Testament, we have a new covenant and one of a love relationship. And that's why John 14, 21, Jesus says, she that has my commandments and keeps them. It is she that loves me. Oh, there's so much more, but we'll get to it later. And so in the New Testament, do we still have these commandments? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Yes. Love your brother as yourself. Yes. But we are given a choice to obey. Because our choice to obey is our response to his great love and our knowledge and recognizing that part of love towards us 
and what it's done in our lives. So it's a direction or order. It's a commandment. It's a direction calling for compliance. Calling for compliance. Synonyms are how-tos. The other synonym that I liked is it's a key. Yes, it's the key that unlocks the door to joy. Another synonym, handbook, guide, tutorial. How many of you have, oh, that yellow book, um, computers according to dummies, plumbing according to dummies, all the rest. I wanted to get a, a yellow cover on my Bible that said, abundant life for dummies, joyful life for dummies. That's why we're in this. Um, a free life, a life that's been freed, a life that's been healed, a life that's been restored, abundant life for dummies. That's, that's the detailed information, the handbook, the guide, the tutorial. Webster's Dictionary. How many of you have already heard this? The American language had not been codified. In other words, you just... How's the word spelled? However you think it's going to be spelled according to how you think it sounds. Just throw those letters out there. That's why Daniel Boone said, I killed a bar. I K-I-L-T instead of killed. A B-A-R instead of a bear. There was no codified American language. So depending upon what part of the country you lived in and how the accent went, I killed a bar. Okay, well... Along came Noah Webster. He was a Christian. And he said, I'm going to codify the English language. So, if you ever look for a definition for a word, Google it. Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It is the best definition. He says about instruction, it's the act of teaching or informing the understanding in that which was before Ignorant, giving them information. I was ignorant. Before I was saved, I thought God was out to get me because he knew what I was doing. And so I felt guilty. Uh, and I thought I was ignorant. I didn't realize what God's love and forgiveness and gift of eternal life was all about. I just thought that stay away from God because, boy, he's going to get you for what you've done. Even after I came to Christ, when I was young, when I did not know much about this guide and tutorial, I often thought that God was unfair. Why don't you treat me like you treat her? She has a great husband. I want a husband like that. How come you're not doing that for me? Whatever. Um, or I would think that he was indifferent to my prayers. I need you so badly to answer this prayer and you're not even listening to me because I was ignorant. So instruction, the act of teaching or informing the understanding in that which was before ignorant. It also means precepts conveying knowledge. In Proverbs chapter 8, if you want to keep, you know, put a bookmark or something where Luke 10 is, and flip over to Proverbs chapter 8. In Proverbs chapter 8, speaking, wisdom is speaking, and it says, Receive my instruction and not silver. Well, let's, I'm going to start reading even while you're flipping to Proverbs chapter 8. This is wisdom speaking. Here, I will speak of excellent things and the opening of my lips shall be right things oh how wonderful I'm not going to get taken to the cleaners once again or sold a line of you know whatever verse 7 for my mouth shall speak truth wickedness is an abomination to my lips been lied to by people been deceived by your own heart? Had the world tried to lure you and you find out, this is not what I thought it was going to be? The words of my mouth are in righteousness. 
and there is nothing forward or perverse in them. They are all plain to her that understandeth, and right to her that finds knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. Why? I like silver, I like gold. Let's just take it as an analogy. I've lived this analogy. I won't ask you to raise hands, but I don't think I'm alone. When it says, receive my instruction and not silver. And it's better than choice gold. Oh, what have I considered my treasure? Gold, symbolic of deity or kingship. How many times in my early walk, because I was not convinced, have I made decisions? Because I've been sitting on my throne. That's right. You have your knowledge. This baby's on the throne of my heart because I know more than you, God, and I'm going to make the right choice for me. But you know what? It happens. But going on in this very chapter, verse 18, riches and honor are with me. Yes, durable, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of righteousness. And 21 is a killer promise. That I may cause those that love me to inherit substance. I will fill their treasures What substance? It's not things. It's peace that passes understanding when your husband dies. It is... Okay, so like I spent a time being homeless, but you know what? It's having the comfort of God and the security of God and the knowledge that he is taking care of you. That's what it's talking. I will cause those that love me to inherit substance that remains. Substance that remains. We'll talk more about this later. And treasure, try peace that passes understanding. Uh, Psalm, ooh, let's go there. Um, Psalm, don't turn there. I'll give them to you. Psalm 29, 11, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Isaiah 26, 3, you guys can quote this to me. You will keep her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because she's trusting in you. John 16.33 These things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation but be of good cheer I've overcome the world and in him we are overcomers. That's the substance. That's the substance. That's the treasure that we inherit. Walking with God in this life, because we all know heaven doesn't start when we crow. Heaven starts as soon as we ask Jesus into our lives. Okay, so that was instruction. Now, back please, to uh, Luke. I'm so glad that we... We read it. Um, so let's just go ahead and start with this well-known story. In verse 38, now it came to pass as they. Who are the they's? The they's obviously looking back up. It's the disciples and Jesus. So it came to pass as they went that Jesus entered into a certain village. Now, a lot of people think that this village is Bethany because in John chapter 11, the village is identified in that chapter as being the village in which Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who had by that time lived. Okay, that's where Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. So that's why they think that that, that is the city they're talking about here, a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. So this little town, Bethany, it's about a mile and a half from Jerusalem. It is to the east of Jerusalem, heading towards Jordan. It's to the east of the southeast slope of the Mount of Olives. 
Because you remember, Jerusalem is about 4,000 feet high. So start going down that slope of the Mount of Olives, about a mile and a half, and there's Bethany. Now it's a city that's in the West Bank. But what's so interesting, I'm not even going to try to do the Arab pronunciation of the name, but it's called the place of Lazarus, even by the Arabs that live there now. Okay. You know, for those of us who like Jeopardy, we like these, you know, inconsequential facts. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house. Well, what were the houses like in that time? Lower income houses would be made out of stone because how many of you have been to Israel? Have you ever seen so many rocks in one place? They all got dumped in Israel, so houses were made out of rocks covered with a stonewashed stucco, usually pounded dirt flooring. If they had any money at all, they might have you know some sort of a, a blanket or a rug down on the floor, some pillows for people to sit on, a flat roof so that they could hang the laundry out there, also Mediterranean climate, warm in the summer, people could sit up there and drink coffee, although if any of you are going to Israel, don't try the Turkish coffee. It's like, it'll keep you awake for days. <laughs> Another useless fact you probably don't need to know. Okay, if you were a middle income, then you would walk into this house. Normally the houses were just kind of like one room or so, but possibly if, it, if you had more money, it would be several rooms around a center area. There would be a low table at by which you could recline and eat, because they all ate leaning on their elbows. Um, they might have a box for storage, but that also would uh, be like a sofa. Um, the kitchens were outside. They cooked over an open fire or, uh, or in a fire pit. Uh, no indoor plumbing unless you were very, very, very wealthy. So latrines, girls. Thank you, I don't live there. Okay, so with that done, now let's get into the study. We can do this. Okay. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. How many of you have, uh, I'm reading from King James. How many of you are reading from a new King James NLT, uh, NIV, you don't have to raise your hands, but I think you will notice that that word also is not in your translation. So one thing that I want to say to you is Google it sometimes. Even in the new King James, they've dropped like 45,000 words. One of the words that they have dropped, because the word also is in the King James, is what this entire study is going to pivot around or off of. It's pivotal. That's it. She had a sister named Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet. At feet, meaning listening to the teacher's instructions, and heard his word. That word heard is to get by hearing, learning, it's to consider what's being said. It's to understand. So I'm hearing, I'm considering it, I'm understanding it. So, Martha had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet, hearing his word. The definition for word in Strong's is what someone has said. Obviously, it's what's declared. It could be a thought, like a weighty saying. It could be an explanation, like a matter under discussion. Or it could be an answer to a question. So a thought, an explanation, an answer. Yet in verse 40, what's the word it starts with? But. But wipes out everything that goes on beforehand. Everything changes. Now, before we move on, look at this. She had a sister called Mary, 
which also sat at Jesus' feet. That means Mary and Martha were both sitting at Jesus' feet. Mary and Martha were both hearing what Jesus had to say. Answers, explanations, thoughts, weighty matters. Mary and Martha were hearing his words. But, so that scene changes. Martha becomes cumbered about with much serving. That word cumbered really is interesting. It means to be drawn away, to become distracted. It means to be driven about mentally, to become overoccupied, to become too busy about a thing. And what was that thing? Much serving. I know how that works. Martha was listening to Jesus, sitting at his feet, hearing what he had to say. We don't know what time of day Jesus came and it all started, but evidently he had been talking long enough that the time was coming when she needed to get out to that fire pit and she needed to start slicing those vegetables and she's going like, oh my goodness, isn't he done with that subject yet? <laughs> I have to get out there and make some bread. I have to get out there and stop, start the soup or whatever it is. And so at first it's just, oh, it's just a thought, just drawn away from what, what Jesus is saying because of a thought. And then I start to, she started to get distracted. I say I because I've lived this. You know, then she starts to get distracted. And then as it just starts building, yeah, it's been another half an hour. This, when's he going to shut up? I mean, respectfully speaking, when's he going to be quiet? I've got to get out there. And then I can just see Martha. Okay, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. Maybe he won't notice. And she's just trying to. Okay, just back out. Just don't notice. <laughs> You know, it's the person who sits up in the front row, but they have to go check something on their iPad, you know. So, uh, to be drawn away, to be distracted, to be driven about mentally. I just also think that it's interesting because as she gets out there to that area, I know what happens. At first she's going... That's okay. I love Jesus and I'm gonna I'm going to express my love to him in service. I'm gonna make him a wonderful dinner. Now my daughter did say, you never know, she could have just been the responsible one. Thank the Lord for the responsible ones. You know, I'm I'm I blame it on my age. But anyhow, um, you know, so whether she was responsible, but I think it was, this was her way of showing her love to Jesus. So she goes out there and at first she's going, I'm just gonna make him the best dinner ever, and she's chopping and chopping and chopping, and then she's starting to go, you know, I'm chopping, but I also have to make the bread up, and Mary is still in there, and so, you know, she's chopping, and then she's chopping, and then she's chopping, looking at Mary, you know, come on, girl, get out here. So, before you know it, a period of time passes, and in verse 40, it says, she came to him and said, now, what's interesting is that she seems to have gotten ahead of steam because it says, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? You guys all know she's gotten such a head of steam that she is going to her Lord and saying, don't you care? She's accusing his goodness. Don't you care? She's making accusations against her sister. And then she is telling her Lord what to do, bitter to come to me. This is really interesting because here again, if you look up the words in Strauss Concordance, the word came has three meanings. It means to stand by. It means to stand over one. And the third meaning is to place yourself above. Haven't we all lived this where our mind has gotten away from the teaching of God and it's become fixated on some things, whatever the trial is. And so at first we come to him and we stand by him because we know where to go in times of trouble. And it's, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, please help me. 
Please help me, Lord. I know that you'll take care of everything. Just please help me. But he doesn't show up in your time. So maybe, actually, my posture in prayer will become standing over one with kind of, I'm a little irked. Hey, what gives? I'm standing here in faith. I'm waiting for you. You're not showing up. Now, I know that none of you ever pray to the Lord like that. But, um, you know, and I, I hope this is not an irreverent sense of humor, but this is really the attitude of our hearts, whether we voice it or not. We come and we stand over Jesus with our trials, and we say, you know, this is great. While you're seated at the right hand of the Father, my life is going down the toilet. That's what we're saying in our hearts, whether we put it verbally into words. And then the third, to place oneself above. And that's what I see Martha doing, is coming to Jesus and placing herself above him. She's gotten past the, oh Lord, I hope that you will. She's gotten past the just, hey, what gives? And she's gotten to the point where she goes, you are not paying attention to my need. This is what I need. This is how I want you to take care of it. Because listen to what she says about her sister. Don't you care that my sister has left me? And that word left doesn't just mean she left me. It means to forsake, to abandon, to leave in the lurch. Lord, don't you care that my sister has forsaken me? She has abandoned me. She has left me in the lurch. She has left me to serve alone. This word in Strong's means alone, without a companion, forsaken, destitute of help. So then when it goes on, bid her therefore. That word bid is that I have a suggestion. Would you just suggest to Mary? It's command her, command her, Lord, that she comes and she helps me. So this is very interesting. When Martha, who was sitting at the feet of Jesus in that, thought came in, started percolating, because she, and then started building, and then drove her to distraction, and she sneaks out ever so quietly. She wants to do a good thing with her service. But because her mind is on her service and not on God, the physical part of her service and not on God, it starts to become a burden. Am I the only one in this kitchen? Like no one else is going to help if I'm not the one to help. I'm always the one to help. To where she comes with that head of steam. Oh, Lord. Mm -mm. Hey, what gives? Mm -mm. It's placing herself over. Hey, God, you're not paying enough attention to me. You're, you don't see me. You don't hear me. My sister has forsaken me, abandoned me, left me in the lurch. I am forsaken. I am destitute of help. And therefore, this is what you need to do. You need to command her to come and help me. Verse 41, Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, Thou art careful and troubled about many things. That word careful is translated to be anxious. Yeah, okay, check that one in my life. To be troubled with cares. Oh yeah, I know what that is. You wake up at two o'clock in the morning. You think that you've laid them all at the feet of Jesus as you prayed before you went to bed, but you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and it's going in your mind to be troubled with cares. Interesting, because it has a third translation, and that is to promote one's own interests. Here again, Martha wanted to show her love to Jesus. Okay, maybe she was organized. I prefer to think that she wanted to show her love to Jesus through this meal, expressing her love through service. But it just went awry. We'll look at that a little more later. Verse 42, Jesus goes on to say, But, 
Only one thing is needful. That's necessary. Needful. Necessary is like a better word. Absolutely necessary. And Mary has chosen that good part. Now this is interesting because the word chosen means to choose out for oneself. To choose out for oneself. That means that as they were both sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know how it is when the person at church gets distracted and you're, you're kind of aware of the fact that they're on their phone instead of listening to us study or they're moving around or they're, you know, whatever. So Mary is aware of this. And then, you know, Martha has to at some time back up. And then she's out there in the yard, and she's probably getting louder and louder because, well, I don't have to cook for anyone anymore, but there certainly were those days when my cooking became louder and louder. Um, but what this word chosen means is she realized that she could be doing these other things, but she chose to express her love to Jesus through devotion. She chose for herself to stay seated. And what Jesus is saying, because you can imagine Mary's eyes, when she hears her sister, oh my goodness, maybe I should have been, maybe I did the wrong thing. And Jesus is saying, there's only one thing necessary. Mary has chosen that good part. And that good is that which is the highest, which is the most excellent thing. The good part. And then the promise. It shall not be taken away from her. It cannot be removed. It cannot be cut off. She cannot be carried away. That is the instruction. It goes with us wherever we go, with whomever we know, in whatever situation. When we choose the excellent, the highest portion, that part which is distinct from all the rest of our Christian experience, sitting at the feet of Jesus receiving instruction, that part will never be removed, cut off. We will never be carried away from it. And that from is any kind of separation, distance of place, distance of time, separating, as it were, Mary from Jesus. You know, uh, back in Proverbs chapter 8, I love it at the, I'm going to read verses 32 through eh, 36. It says, Now therefore hearken unto me, children. Blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction. Be wise. Refuse it not. Oh, ladies, I walked with the Lord for a long time, and I can tell you, years of suffering because I did not take heed to the instruction, but tried to cope with it out of my own resources, telling God what he needed to do to remedy the situation, instead of having my mind stayed upon him and trusting him. Hear wisdom and be wise. Refuse it not, because verse 34, blessed is the woman that hears me, watches daily at my gates, waits at the post of my doors. So blessed. Do we want to be happy? Everybody wants to be happy. With my grandkids, I just watched this troll movie where they give totally a wrong message. They say happiness is within you. It's not. But anyhow, it gave me an opportunity to witness to the kids. But um, but the thing is, is that all the, all the bad trolls, they want to be happy. That's why they're eating the happy trolls. But no, that's not the way to get it. It's, it's blessed is the woman that hears, watches, waits. For whosoever findeth me findeth what? Life. That's right. Abundant life for dummies. And shall obtain favor. That's life. That's substance. Those are the treasures that last forever. Now, I want to interject something. 
uh, instruction. Why do we go to the Lord for instruction? First it's for salvation, then it's for sanctification. Oh my goodness, how do I separate myself from the world? Because I like doing this, and I like watching that, and I like reading this, and, and I like going here. How do you sanctify yourself? You don't do a thing. You don't have to sanctify yourself. You just get into this, and you become sanctified. That's a different study. So, salvation, sanctification, and service. Now, remember, Martha wanted to express her love. I have four minutes. I'm going to do this. Martha wanted to express her love through service. Mary wanted to express her love through devotion. Both are admirable. What made Martha starting well, not finish well? One could kind of use it as an analogy for ministry burnout. <laughs> okay. We can flip right back to Luke chapter 9. Oh, yeah. Luke chapter 9, verse... Uh, let me see. Verse 11. Uh, well, 10 and 11. It's, it's telling the story. You know, because this is one thing I thought of is, okay, Martha, Luke chapter 9 takes place before Luke chapter 10. Don't you realize that you have the guy who just fed 5,000 plus with two fish and five loaves of bread? Don't worry about what to eat for dinner. He can just speak it into existence. <laughs> But what I thought was so interesting is, um, why did God, why did Jesus allow this situation to occur in verse 10? The apostles, when they were returned, told Jesus all they've done. He took them privately to a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. It's up there on the um, shore of Galilee. Uh, the name actually means a desert place or bereft. It's bereft of what the people needed because in verse 11, the people, when they knew it, they followed Jesus. He received them. He spake to them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. Well, you know what? Verse 12, the day begins to wear away. And then come the 12. You can just see them. Just like Martha, they're going, hey, we got a problem here. I mean, it's great that you're healing them and everything, Jesus, but you got to stop what you're doing because oh, you need to send the multitude away. We are in a place that is like bereft. It's wilderness. And they need to go into the towns and the country and lodge and find food. We're in a desert place. That's where that word bereft comes from. That's actually the definition of the word desert place. So you see, they were right there with Jesus. And then that thought came. And they're looking at it, all those people, and they're going, man, I know what happens when men get hungry and they get ugly around here pretty soon. <laughs> so they say something to Jesus, but Jesus says to them, he takes the situation for an opportunity to teach them, give them something to eat. And the people say, and they say, we only have five loaves and two fishes. Maybe we should go away and, and buy meat for this people. So I'm looking at my own resources, and I'm figuring out what I'm going to do to meet my problem. Okay? There were about 5,000 men, and then we know the story that Jesus had them sit down. He, he blessed the fish and the loaves. He broke them. He broke them, and then they did eat. Were glutted in verse 17. That's what that word filled means. Is glutted, and there were taken up of fragments that remained twelve full baskets. So Jesus tells them to do something they can't do. Why? Because he knows that they're going to respond with, "Okay, this is how I'm going to handle it. This is what I'm going to do." Jesus wanted to show them, I don't need your resources to meet the need. Jesus used this as an example to say, I work outside of the box. Trust me. It's the same thing that's happening in verse 10. Martha, Martha, bid my sister. Martha, I don't need to do what you tell me to do. I don't need to meet your need the way you think I need to meet your need. I'm not ignoring you. Don't you think I know what's going on in your life? Don't I see, you know, you're outside, you're outside the room. Don't you think I can see what's going on? Don't you think I know the thought process as you're becoming tormented? Oh, Martha, Martha. 
horrible. You're anxious, you're troubled. Just sit at my feet, Martha. Just sit at my feet. Mary's chosen. Now, when I said burnout in ministry, it's not that that means, all right, I never have to do anything. I just need to be, you know, sitting and reading my Bible 24-7. All right, I'm lazy and this is great. I never have to wash another dish in my life. That's not what it's saying. But it is saying, because Jesus said, I came to earth, not to be served, but to serve. And 1 Corinthians 12 says, to each of us has been given a gift wherewith to serve. And because instruction, why instruction? Why do we need to hunger and thirst for instruction? How are we going to know his heart? How are we going to know his heart? So that when everything hurts, or everything is black, everything is confusing... I have no idea what's going on, God. It's way beyond my resources. I don't even know what to tell you. It doesn't. Why am I going to tell you anything? You see everything. You know my thoughts. You know the situation. You live outside eternity. You see the way you're going to take me through this. Oh, God, help me to keep my eye on you. My mind on you. But as it goes to service, I'm looking at the time and I know I'm, I'm making this a mess. Service goes wrong when we haven't sat at his feet enough to get what we need on a daily basis. So that when we serve, it's not in our own strength, but it is out of the abundance of our needs being met and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that living water gushing forth, so that when one goes into the children's ministry, instead of going, am I the only one? Who volunteers for the children's ministry? Really? I'm taking care of second through sixth grade. What goes here? Sanctuary's full. Isn't there anyone else? No, no, no. You're so full from having God speak to you and your needs and the abundance. You go, oh my goodness, God. There's no one else at this point. But you've given me a heart. Help me to reach these kids. Because these kids need to hear about the kingdom of God. And I trust you that you are going to help my brothers and sisters mature in you until they realize also, I'm not coming to church to be served. I did dishes at home. I watched that screaming brat at home. That they'll go, oh my goodness, we've each been given a gift? So whether it's cleaning up after the women's ministry or whether it's, you know, the children's ministry or whatever, it changes your attitude towards service. As a matter of fact, if we have that attitude of, well, am I the only one? Um, that's a real good litmus test to go, ooh. Obviously, I'm serving out of my own strength. And therein lies ministry burnout. Why can some people minister day and night for years? And you say, how are you doing? And they say, great! And you're looking at them going, you liar, liar, pants on fire. You can't be great. No, they are great because they are experiencing an intimacy with Jesus Christ that one only learns when one identifies with his suffering through service. Because it will cost you your life. But there is an intimacy. And there is an aliveness. It is that abundant life to where you just go, give me more. It's costing me my life. But the exchange is so worth it, God. I lay down my life that you might live through me. So, at his feet, for reasons explained, for instruction, why? Yes. Abundant life for dummies. Joy for dummies. Healing for dummies. Learning how to forgive for dummies. Restoration for dummies. Whatever it is we need, this is the textbook. But more than that, in everything we read, we hear the heart of God beating in love for us. And after we've sat at his feet and filled ourselves with that instruction, then we can go out 
And it doesn't matter what other people treat you like. And it doesn't matter how the world downs you. And it doesn't matter what unforeseen circumstances you're walking into. Oh, yeah? My God will never leave me nor forsake me. Oh, yeah? I'm brimming overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm in communion. Me and Jesus, we're like this. I can pray all day long. And he hears me. Because I've heard his heart this morning. And that's what I was saying. This is so awesome, this summer that she has ahead for you. Because first, oh wait a minute, that's over here. Because first, it's sitting at his feet for instruction. And then you go on sitting at his feet for comfort. We all need comfort. Where do we get comfort? Not from the refrigerator. <laughs> or the medicine cabinet. Instruction. And after we're experiencing that comfort and that intimacy with him... Oh, at his feet for worship. And that doesn't mean that, okay, worship. That's not what it's talking about. First Samuel 15, 22. God desires obedience more than sacrifice. The sacrifice of the lips. A sacrificial heart. Take it, God. Let me give it to you as a burnt offering. No longer me, but you that lives within me. Because you died for me, but because I'm in heaven. In this intimacy, I walk with you on this earth. And it's for dummies. That means even I can understand it. Let's pray. <laughs> oh, Father, wherever we are, each woman in here, in her Christian walk, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you cause these words to speak hope to her heart. Yes, Father, we know that every time we go to get into the Word, our flesh and the enemy are going to try to keep us out of it. It's a numb warfare. But Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, the war has been won. He rose from the dead. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Draw us close to the Lord. May this be the closest summer, the best summer we've ever spent as your daughters sitting at your feet. And at the end of this summer, may we just say, glory God, you've changed us so exactly how my life needed it. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.